From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant, uh, the man behind the, the curtain here. And most importantly, you are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we're very excited, friends, neighbors, fellow conspiracy realists, because we are finally delving into a story that you heard about fairly recently. And uh, you may have seen it as an interesting headline on your Facebook feed, if that's where you get your news. You may have seen a couple of people commenting on it in Reddit. Uh, you may have wondered why such an earth-shaking story hit the headlines and then appeared to vanish. I know. When I first saw it, I was like, wait, so this is this is like an admission that, that this stuff is real. This, well, yeah. These programs are real. Especially because you were probably reading it in the New York Times, which you right. generally don't read about UFOs there. That's what I'm saying. I was like, this is the one. This is the big one. And then it was kind of just like, uh, where, where that? what happened to that story? Right. Paper of note, New York Times. Uh, and a journalist working for the New York Times by the name of Ralph Blumenthal uh, went public with a front page Sunday article in the New York Times fairly recently uh, where it, it was entitled Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Column. Blumenthal, writing with Leslie Keene and Helene Cooper, uh, it introduced the vast majority of the public, including Matt, Noel, Paul, and myself, to something called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And this blew our collective minds. Yes. We weren't sure what was up. We weren't sure what was left, what was right, <laughs> where to go. And because we wanted to bring the most fascinating and most accurate information to bear on this subject, we uh, we connected with one of our experts in the field in this regard, <laughs> right? And we are lucky enough to have him with us on the air today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you may remember him from our previous episode on allegations of uh, alien implants or mysterious implants, the mastermind behind the film Patient 17. Number 25 on Netflix and trending right now, by the way. Check mm -hmm. it out if you haven't already. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd like to introduce you to Jeremy Corbell. Jeremy. Hey, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on again. Of course. So, all right, you just, I, I, I guess we just start at the beginning. Let's, let's go to the day this article comes out. How much did you know about this at that point? Well, I've actually been working on the Tic Tac case for two years and was not allowed to say anything about it. So I got to see it kind of from the inside before it was published. You know, I had pre-warning about the publish, you know, be, it being published in the New York Times and Politico and then getting picked up by the global media. You know, it was a big story, is a big story. So luckily I got to see it a little bit from the inside. So can you tell us a little bit about what the Tic Tac incident is? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, we should go, you know, here are the facts, man. The devil's in the details. And this is a real conspiracy reality. This is something being held back from the American and global public. And it, you know, does have a focus on the Tic Tac incident. because, And that is the case that I was working on for a couple of years. I had no way to shield anybody I was speaking with, you know, from their secrecy agreements. So it's really great how this came out. The Tic Tac incident off the coast of California was one of many incidents where there is an anomalous aerial vehicle or anomalous aerial threat, depending on how they want to twist the language, where an object of unknown origin, no tail numbers, no even wings, was defying all ideas that we have about propulsion, gravity, and flight. And this thing was observed within 100 feet by the primary pilot, Commander David Fravor, and it was on every radar that we have and considered a threat of unknown origin, and it just displayed the most astounding flight characteristics. And so that is kind of the core of that story, that there is unknown technology, unknown craft from unknown origins that outfly anything that we have, and that was a 2004 case, so pretty current. Right. And that's uh, I, I really want to emphasize this for the rest of the audience here. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned it, w- it was a fighter pilot who was the primary observer here. There were other observers and these were experts. These were not people who were walking in, a, you know, a tourist area waiting in line uh, to get some street food. These were uh, these were people operating out of the USS Nimitz. Is that correct? Yeah, in fact, these are our most highly trained combat pilots. There were four visual observers on that particular day, yet these events were ongoing for over a week off the coast of California, being observed by our national defense and military. And these pilots, having no knowledge of what they were going to, were asked, what ordinance do you have on board? We have a real-life target for you. And they were sent out to observe and to engage this anomalous aerial vehicle. And there are some things about that that the public needs to know. Not only are these trained observers, but this object that they engaged did things like actively jam compared to passively jam their radar and weapon systems, which is fascinating because they had the most high tech available to the United States military or the world at this time. Wow. And the the craft itself uh, did not look like anything we would understand as an aircraft, right? There were no uh, no rotors, no wings, uh, no not even any portholes. Is that correct? In my conversations with Commander David Fravor, it was the most astounding thing he had ever seen in combat or even in theory, because this object, through the different visual optics that he had, had no protrusions like wings or anything like that. It had no exhaust plumes. They can use FLIR, which is heat sensing. There is no possible way that he knew of that this thing could operate, and in the ways that it did. When he was observing it, it was like a ping pong, bouncing right, left, up, down. It was absolutely foolish the way that it was moving. It was strange beyond all belief. And at one point, it noticed him, and it started to target him and move around his vehicle and shut down his systems. I mean, he's quoted as saying in the Boston Herald, uh, you know, it, it, it is not something we developed, uh, and that it, he believes it's something not from here, not from Earth. 
so Jeremy, you have not only spoken with the fighter pilot who is the primary witness for this, but you also uh, followed this story or this phenomenon beyond this specific instance to a, a global context. And earlier off air, you said that you had some you had some contextualizing points about the 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 global impact or, or the backdrop of this phenomenon and we were wondering if you could walk uh walk us and the audience through the 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 primary um let's say the lay of the land here or the should we say the cast of the sky yeah sure so yeah i have developed a, a network of people involved with you know the 2004 nimitz event from radar operators to personnel to the pilots, so I've been able to see this, you know, from a larger perspective. But the big news, let's, let's step back to the big news. You know, here are the facts. You know, first of all, we should know that my mentor, George Knapp, really broke all of this information first before anybody. And, you know, he's got his ear to the rail in a way. We are standing in a place now within the United States where, and the world where we are being told a number of things. So, for example, you know, here are the facts. There was an announcement. $22 million was spent by our government to study the UFO phenomenon. That was reported in the New York Times and the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, AATIP, was named. Secret UFO study. Something in our airspace outrunning our machine. Bullet point. A man named Luis Elizondo, who's the former director of programs to investigate unidentified aerial threats for our government, he came forward in that article as well. So they identified that there's a threat. Elizondo said in the political article, we, we, we had never seen anything like it. There, there was frustration within our government. Uh, Elizondo kind of made that clear by saying, look, if a Russian bear bomber comes into near California, it, it's all over the news. These are coming in the skies over our facilities and you hear nothing but crickets. And when he says our facilities, that was a direct quote, we're also talking about nuclear facilities. So in the public eye, nothing has been studied about UFOs since the closing of Project Blue Book in 1969. That's what we were told. Now we know that that is completely false. It was also said that the AATIP program ended in 2012. Right. So this is right out of the Pentagon. They're saying that program to study UFOs ended in 2012. In fact, that is false. And we'll get into that when it gets crazy. Uh, there was a fear. This is something else that everybody should know. There was a fear that, you know, these incidents and these aircraft or these crafts that we're witnessing were not made by humans. This is all the way up in the chain of command within our Pentagon. And uh, the other kind of headline news that we learned through the New York Times article is that former Senator Harry Reid of Nevada, he initiated this $22 million program to study UFOs and the larger phenomena that we uh, observe that have to, you know, that are beyond UFOs. There is a very strange link to a very strange property that this program had a directorate to study, a place called Skinwalker Ranch. So that's what we know from these global announcements that, in fact, UFOs as a threat is a hot topic and remains a hot topic since 1969 when allegedly we stopped studying this stuff, which we now know is not true. So that's kind of the big points, the big pictures and they're using specific cases to help us understand that. Just to go back quickly to uh, Luis Elizondo, 
the the person who was essentially the manager of the program, at least for a time. Uh, one thing we found to be extremely important here with regards to the Pentagon itself studying these things. He said that even his immediate supervisor at the Pentagon was unaware of the program, which, you know, we, we've, we've talked about segmentation that occurs within the government, within government groups like that before within structures where, you know, what, what is it? You just, a lot of people won't know exactly what's going on, what your net, what the next person is working on. Often there's a compartmentalization of information. So perhaps the Pentagon overall didn't even really know what was going on, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's quite surprising. There is a stove piping, they call it within intelligence circles, of information. So, you know, one hand can't access what the other hand is working on. And there's a reason for that specifically in these programs. It's because the implications of this technology, it is a fierce technology. It is something, when weaponized, if we could control the, the, the forces of nature, like these craft appear to be able to control, that gives any nation a leg up technologically, a weaponization that other countries, other nations wouldn't have. So that is the exact reason why within the intelligence community, Department of Defense and National Security, you have this stove piping and compartmentalization. It's important. We used it for the atomic weapons system, the atomic bomb, and we use it now in anything regarding UFOs. And that's that's a very important point uh, regarding atomic weaponry. I'm, I'm glad you brought up this subject because from what we understand for Senator Harry Reid, uh, the – the question of missile defense and nuclear weaponry was one of the, at least according to his public statements, one of the primary motivators for his interest in the project. He said that he had read classified reports about encounters with uh, unidentified flying objects over U.S. nuclear bases and that during those encounters, just just like how the systems on the fighter planes were scrambled or disabled, the atomic weapons themselves were somehow disabled in these encounters. Uh, do, do you believe that that, what, that stated motivation of his was the primary goal or do you believe there's something more to the story? Well, I believe that the concept of national defense is the primary goal. If we don't know how something is working and if it can threaten our nation, then it is a priority. So, yeah, I do believe in general that the idea was, A, how do we protect ourselves from these vehicles and these technologies that are far beyond ours that can shut down our nukes? at any moment. But let's get specific about that. I just had lunch the other week with Robert Salas. Robert Salas was in command of 10 Minutemen intercontinental ballistic missiles when at his base, Maelstrom Air Force Base, a UFO came in, observed. This is all now public information through FOIA. We got this information. And a UFO, a glowing red UFO came in over the base and it shut down 10 independent systems, and we know specifically what this UFO targeted, which is the global positioning systems, disabled them, immediately just disabled them. And this is not an isolated event. This happened within seven days on another base here in America, and also we now know in Russia at the same time. So you have a technology flying with impunity, coming over the most just secure nuclear missile bases, our top weaponry in America and in Russia, and just effortlessly shutting down our technologies by targeting the positioning systems. Now, this is a problem. This is a problem, whether it is benevolent 
and they're saying, don't play with fire, or if this is some sort of display of power, which it certainly was. So yes, I do believe the motivation is national security. Well, Reid was quoted in saying, um, I'm glad that this happened because now we have scientific proof, or I'm glad this revelation was uh, revealed to the public. I mean, those are strong words from a politician who's, I don't know, one of their primary jobs seems to be obfuscation or like trying to kind of deceive the public in some way or like, you know, this is pretty bold sentiment coming from a career politician. Can you speak to that or, or how do you feel about that quote? Yeah, well, look, his uh, perspective, because he did this with black budget money, I mean, this is not even pushed through Congress. This is not asked for. This is money that is created and funneled in to these uh, special access programs where, you know, again, most Congress person will have no idea about these programs or what's going on. They, 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 are, they are not in the need to know, even if they have the classification. So uh, I, this is, these are strong words. But it's, it's really just the beginning of it. There's a lot that Harry Reid's not explaining. The reason Harry Reid got interested in this subject at all is because of the Bob Lazar story and being a Nevada politician would talk with George Knapp. And so he learned that Bob Lazar's story is true. And he learned that this is something, the ET technology or foreign technologies, that we don't really have a handle on. And then it was upon, and this is something that people don't know again, it's upon understanding the Skinwalker Ranch story that really motivated Harry Reid because he read George Knapp's book. It motivated him to take this issue more seriously and try to initiate funding for it because he thought scientifically, if we can get a handle on this, even a glimpse, that this is the biggest thing that has ever happened to national defense and humanity. So, yes, I, I think it's a powerful statement. It's also powerful that the New York Times put out this article and that they admitted to the advanced aerial threat identification program. I mean, that is the modern-day Project Blue Book, and it has not ended in 2012, like stated. The only thing that ended was the partnership with Robert Bigelow of Bigelow Aerospace to study Skinwalker Ranch. And on that note, we do have to emphasize, yes, Harry Reid was not acting alone. Uh, he did have support from at least two other senators who went public, Ted Stevens and Daniel Inouye uh, from Alaska and Hawaii. And, of course, the founder of Bigelow Aerospace, Robert T. Bigelow. Now, longtime listeners, you will recall uh, previous episodes examining Project Blue Book and you may also recall um, previous mentions of Skinwalker Ranch. And if you like our show, then you are definitely going to want to hear the rest of our conversation with Jeremy Corbell. Okay, we're back. Now, generally, when I think about the study of UFOs, I think about governmental organizations and things like Project Blue Book. I do not usually think about a private for-profit organization having a hand in, you know, either taking a government contract to study UFOs or aerial phenomena or being paid in any way by a government entity. But in this case, we do have a private aerospace organization, Bigelow Aerospace. And can you like what do you know, Jeremy, about their involvement with this whole thing? Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. This is a classic chess move by our United States government. It's like when they put 
facilities on Native American or sovereign nation land where they can they don't have to uh, act as if they're you know under jurisdiction of the federal government. They can do things outside of the parameters that are usually on them. So using private industry is the oldest trick in the book, and that's what we saw with the partnership between Bigelow Aerospace and actually the DIA and the Defense Intelligence Agency, the intelligence agency within the branch of the Pentagon. So this is exactly what happened. There was a contract put out for this $22 million to study what was going on specifically at, at Skinwalker Ranch, but the anomalous aerial vehicles. And Bigelow already had an interest in this and had a property of high activity. The, the United States government wanted to understand this technology and if it was indeed otherworldly, and if that is a national security problem. So that shielding that they got through using private industry, because you cannot send a Freedom of Information Act to private industry, mm. but you could to the DIA. So, yeah, so partnering with Bigelow was really the way that they were able to shield themselves from public scrutiny to try to get a handle on what's going on. Dude, before we get crazy, I just have a quick question. I know Harry Reid's retiring soon, um, and there was talk, you know, he was a big um, – he was really against the whole Yucca Mountain nuclear waste repository in Nevada, and now I saw an article saying that because he's retiring, that could go forward w without him there to kind of guard against it. I'm wondering if, you know, since he was in such support of this program, do you think him retiring will, you know, deflate it in any way? No, actually, I don't think that Harry Reid retiring will deflate the program because we're talking about a 22 million program, which is like, you know, our military spends more on Viagra for its soldiers than it does 22 million per year. And this was over, you know, uh, seven years, maybe. So it's really funny. This topic is studied through every branch of our military in every intelligence organization. The studies are ongoing. So th there's no deflating this. It's just we're hearing about a piece of it. Don't worry. Our government's on this. And one of the things that we'll hear uh, when people bring up that uh, that number, that 22 million, is you'll hear people say, well, that's 22 million out of a 600 billion annual budget, right? Or uh, I love that statistic about Viagra that you just introduced this to, which is my first time hearing it. This this argument to uh, supporters seems misleading because it could it, it it sort of circumvents the concept of black bag budgets or it circumvents the concept of untraceable money, which we know is a a real phenomenon, uh, not just in the Department of Defense, but in other world militaries and intelligence agencies and we have to ask with uh, with Noel's earlier question about deflation. We have to ask what else we don't know. Does a program like this continue? Uh, what does it lead to? What are the other pathways in this rabbit hole? And most immediately, Jeremy, is this where it gets crazy? Yeah, I would say this is certainly where it gets crazy. I'm going to tell you a few points right now that I think are, the public is not picking up on, and it's very important to pick up on them, and they will blow your mind. So, yes, here's where it gets crazy. So, first of all, the program did not end. What they're telling you 
is that that $22 million program, that little program, that the contract is now over since 2012. But the study of UFOs is still one of the primary studies that everybody's looking at in the United States military. So don't start to believe that it ended. It did not end. Now, also, uh, this event we talked about, the Tic Tac event series, the week-long series, that was not an anomaly. It's a trend. The Tic Tac event was not an isolated event. The other video that was put out by the Pentagon was what's called the gimbal video. Something people don't know, or very few people know, is that the gimbal video was from a completely separate set of events off of the east coast of California in 2015. So these frequencies of the, are increasing of these Tic Tacs and these, these similar things. And, and the Tic Tac event also, there were multiple Tic Tacs, and there was a USO, an identified submerged object that was churning the water underneath uh, you know, the planes as they were flying and looking at the Tic Tacs. It was said the Tic Tacs seemed to be docking, in quotes, docking with the USO. So it's not isolated. Um, the, the government involvement is something else that, where it gets crazy. The, the DIA, the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, was the one in charge of this program through the $22 million. So we're talking about a major intelligence agency within the United States. In the article, something else, another point people didn't really pick up on, there were alloys that were, that there were skiffs that were built you know, to, to protect information and um, actual objects at Bigelow Aerospace in Las Vegas, Nevada. These were being held there. Uh, foreign, to say it nicely, foreign technologies or alloys. So, you know, UFO alloys. And the, I think what we're going to learn a lot about in the next year or so is the atomic layering of these alloys. How do we know that they weren't created on Earth by another nation? So keep your eyes out for that, and don't forget that was said in the article. They were warehousing alloys. They also mentioned, really briefly, and this was a leak, about medical studies for, for UAP or unidentified flying objects or UFOs, whatever you want to call them, encounters by our government and military personnel. So there are medical studies on individuals who had prolonged UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena, encounters. That's something that hopefully we will learn more about. Now let's talk about demons, since we're going to where it gets crazy. The, the program was stopped because uh, people were scared shitless of, of being in, you know, being, this all being on the front page of any news report because some people believe this was not the works of aliens or, or ETs, but it was in fact demonic. This is true. Within our intelligence agencies, people believed this, and they didn't want it splashed on the New York Times because they believed it was demonic. That is true. That is crazy. So, I mean, I don't know what it is, but that is wild. Um, the other thing is the Skinwalker Ranch connection has not been fleshed out, and I'm making a movie on that. I'm making a movie to show those connections between these recent UFO events, the 22 million, and the Skinwalker Ranch connection. And so that kind of leads us to, to that. But all of that, to me, is wild. Yeah, agreed. And one thing that's one thing that's interesting when you mention that people within the government, some of the people in Uncle Sam's employ, 
felt that there were religious or spiritual implications about that. We know that can sound insane, folks, but we have to remember that regardless of what someone's occupation is or what the role is, they are still a human being and they move by these human motivations. So if someone takes if someone interprets a threat seriously enough, right, then they will feel that it is a moral imperative to report it. So this, uh, while just hearing what you heard just now might sound like creepypasta on the internet, the fact is that these were real people, these were genuine government employees who were voicing these concerns. Yeah, and they're seeing it through their own lens. Right, which is, there's nothing wrong with, because, you know, I don't know the ultimate truth. If anybody says they know the ultimate truth, they're lying. But it, but th that perspective is, is worthy of an individual who has religious faith to say, this is my concern. What we're witnessing is the act of the devil. You know, these, these are not aliens. This is demonic. And that, in fact, halted progress on these studies. It did, which is pretty intense. Wow. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about Skinwalker Ranch while we're here, because one thing that you can say for sure about Skinwalker Ranch, whether you are tuning in as a, a as a dyed-in-the-wool believer about a very specific aspect of it, or whether you consider yourself a James Randi-esque skeptic, uh, you can easily admit that Skinwalker Ranch is the subject of intense controversy. Since we, we talked about on uh, James Randi, one of the um, messianic figures of the internet skeptic movement, had said that uh, he had deemed Robert Bigelow's purchase of Skinwalker Ranch as um, a, a useless study or a useless investigation, whereas other people have sworn that they have seen incredibly anomalous activities such as cattle mutilation, right? The strange, strange objects in the sky. And what what we were hoping to ask you to do as as your uh, our go to expert on this, could could you give our listeners a an overview of Skinwalker Ranch as Okay, I'll, I'll just cut to the chase. What the heck's going on there, man? It's a great question, and it's easy to throw stones, someone like James Randi at, at Robert Bigelow saying it's useless or whatever. But you know what? Our Defense Intelligence Agency uh, did not think it was useless. In fact, uh, Skinwalker Ranch was the subject of the most intense scientific study of UFOs and the paranormal by our United States government in history. So it wasn't just one eccentric billionaire putting his money behind this. Now we know that. Now we know there was a partnership made with the DIA. So people can throw stones and say that sounds ridiculous. And I agree, it sounds ridiculous. But you wouldn't do a prolonged study at a place if there wasn't scientific information and data that you were getting, let it be classified or not. So let's talk about Skinwalker Ranch. The, the bullet points are, are this. In, in 1998, real estate mogul, self-made billionaire Robert Bigelow of Bigelow Aerospace, he purchased the 480-acre uh, ranch in northeastern Utah to use as a living laboratory to study the UFO phenomenon. And uh, historically, just to put it out there, this location or, or this whole Uinta Basin has been inundated with bizarre phenomena going on back generations. So Bigelow just wanted answers to some you know, some big questions, and, and he was determined to find them regardless of the cost. 
what happened at the ranch historically, you know, what's claimed to lurk in the shadows goes far beyond UFOs. Bizarre events range from, you know, perplexing to wholly terrifying, vanishing and mutilated cattle, unidentified flying objects, huge otherworldly creatures appearing, uh, flying orbs, uh, everything under the sun, like a grab bag of bizarre is what was reported by scientists and locals in this area for generations. And one family at this ranch, you know, their life was under siege by these unknown enemies or entities, and uh, nothing could explain it, and they thought maybe science could. And in enters Robert Bigelow, and he employed a crack team of Ph.D.-level scientists to conduct a long-term investigation into the reports of the phenomena. And the, the team was tasked to use the ranch as this living laboratory, you know, that's Bigelow's own words, in the Uinta Basin. And they quietly and with rigor, they studied the ranch. And, and what they encountered uh, during that study would test their beliefs and even their sense of reason. And uh, that's what Skinwalker Ranch is, a living laboratory in, in the most scientifically studied hotspot, paranormal hotspot in, in history. And our government was involved. So, Jeremy, give us a little insight on how you've come to acquire uh, what I've seen from uh, a trailer, boxes and boxes of videotapes and documents all about the Skinwalker Ranch. Sure. Well, right time, right place. Uh, my mentor, George Knapp, you know, he's a two-time Peabody awarding, award-winning, uh, you know, I don't know, 27 Emmy journalist. The guy breaks stories right and left, day and night for 30 years, right? So one thing that, that he did was he earned the trust of those involved by keeping his mouth shut and being able to be on location, you know, dozens and dozens of time and working with the scientific teams to just have a journalistic standpoint on it that one day maybe he could make a documentary or reveal this info and he's let out little bits and pieces. But now that the ranch has changed hands, all of that has been altered. We can now tell this story. So poking and prodding and trying to get the information and what he's collected and sorting it and collating it, that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And wow, what I've uncovered through this is truly shocking and interesting. So that led me to want to make a movie on it. Okay, so George Knapp had these documents, and it appears that he was under some kind of non-disclosure agreement, and that's just, I'm trying to understand here. He wasn't allowed to talk about it for a while? Yeah, journalistic ethics is more about it. If you're let in to observe and look at something, and you're set, you're told, you know, as a journalist, you know, it is not the time to talk about this, but I want it kind of recorded for history. We're not talking about just documents. We're also talking about footage, actual footage that goes back 20 years. So this is something that he kept his word as a journalist. The moment he breaks that, people no longer trust him, you know, if, they, if they're a source for him. So he kept his word and he did not leak any information, although he did report on it from time to time in the capacity he could he even wrote a book on, you know, Hunt for the Skinwalker, great book. It'll get you up to date on what happened there. So he, he, he was able to put some stuff out, but the meat of it, yeah, he had to, it's a human burden as a journalist. He had to sit on it and those, that time has now gone. 
and that that was a burden that you were also uh, shouldering for for your time researching this uh, this upcoming work. One thing that's interesting that I know a lot of a lot of us in the audience are going to ask, uh, and it's completely fine if this and completely understandable if there's a question that shouldn't be answered on air. Uh, you mentioned that. Robert Bigelow no longer owns Skinwalker Ranch, that it was acquired by another party. Do we know who that party is? And do they wish to remain anonymous? Are they affiliated with the government in any way, etc.? The, the public does not know who the new owner of Skinwalker Ranch is. Uh, the, the, the new owner of Skinwalker Ranch is not affiliated with the government, to the best of my knowledge. And the new owner desires to remain out of the public eye. So I respect that. And again, journalistic integrity, and there's you know, no reason to go beyond that. But yeah, the, the, you know, there is new ownership, and that is interesting. Okay. Uh, this, I'm really glad that we got that out into the air. Uh, I also wanted to – well, Matt Noel and I wanted to follow up on something that we had been thinking about for years, and I know you're on the same page with us here, and that's uh, the larger concept of disclosure, capital D, disclosure. And this is uh, – to catch everyone up, this is the idea that there would be some globally recognized – acknowledgement of either evidence of extraterrestrials visiting in the past, evidence of extraterrestrial life, even if it hasn't contacted Earth or something like that. Uh, do you see this announcement by the Pentagon, um, regardless of how much still remains classified, do you see this as a step toward that? Do you believe that disclosure is an impending phenomenon? No, disclosure will not happen. People would go to jail. It, it would also be very damaging to the, the world in general. However, uh, confirmation is something that appears we, we, that we are inching towards to. So, some people even believe we, we've had confirmation if you really read and understand and talk with the people involved here from the news reports to you know, the, the television interviews. But I think it's a very important to understand disclosure with a capital D, that is a, a fantasy. People would go to jail. If the United States government says, we are, we are in fact being visited by extraterrestrials and we have been for a long time and here's all the information, we've been reverse engineering their technology or attempting to, that is, that people would, would go down for that. So that's not going to happen. But what might happen and appears we are inching towards is confirmation. The idea that, hey, there's, there, there are unknowns, and these unknowns, they have to be piloted if it's what it appears, although all the evidence shows these are not beings from other star systems visiting us, but in fact, it's much more complex than that. That's actually what the evidence shows. But yeah, I, I believe we're inching towards confirmation of what we do know to a degree, but no, no disclosure with a capital D. That's that's just never going to happen, in my opinion. Well, that's disheartening, Jeremy, because I've been waiting on that well, for know, a man. long time. <laughs> I don't know, Debbie man. Downer yeah, over here. Awesome. Good. Mm. No, no, no. Guys, I'm sorry. Let me just, let me no, I'm joking. We're totally – I guess I'll, well, the reason I'm, I'm told we're totally joking, but it's like, you know, they released – they they do tend to release stuff years and years and years later when it seems like it maybe is irrelevant for actual living humans, like things about the Kennedy assassination and stuff. Um, but 
I feel like you're I, I agree with you. It doesn't seem like the government does things like that. And for any other reason than to placate people and not actually to inform. Right. Or to get what they want. Remember, the, the elephant in the room here is that how these craft operate on the on the last show with you. I said the only one thing we know about UFOs is that it's a huge amount of energy in a very small amount of space. Scientifically, we know that. So now we're looking again at a fierce technology. It's like the moment that you learn how to make a nuclear reactor for power, you, you, you cannot unlearn how to make a nuclear bomb. So the weaponization potential of these technologies are so powerful that for all the good things it could do for us, it could be a very destructive, it would be a very destructive technology. And so that is the elephant in the room. Wow. Okay. I'm going back to the $22 million because I, I think this is an important point and it kind of touches on disclosure as well. The F a 18 super Hornet that commander David Fravor was flying when he saw the Tic Tac UFO incident, the price tag on that vehicle, if you were going to buy it in 2017, that of course was 2004, it would be $70 million. And if you're imagining that that single jet, that that single pilot was flying that observed a UFO is several times more than the entire operating budget for a program. For me, that spells smokescreen or perhaps almost a front or a disinformation in, of some sort in some way. That's just what, that's what it feels like to me in my gut. And I, I just wonder if you've encountered anything like that that would make you think there's something fishy going on. Well, I mean, the only thing fishy going on is that we're not being told where our tax dollars are being spent on. We're, it's not being acknowledged that this is a high priority. That Again, that $22 million is just a, a drop in the budget. That's what's a drop in the bucket. I mean, that, that's what's so funny about this. There are programs in every branch of our military, in every intelligence agency. I can tell you that with definitive fact. So this little tiny drop is part of an ocean of financing that goes towards trying to understand these fierce technologies. Got you. So I guess I just have – I have worries about it being some kind of disinformation or counterintelligence program to cover up just advanced testing. Um because, you know, it's that whole I want to believe thing. I I am nervous that maybe somebody is pulling my leg even all the way up to the Harry Reeds just so that something else can be covered up. Well, that would be fantastic. I mean, that would be a wild truth if, if that were indeed the case. And we always do need to look at that because our government historically has been really good at saying, look at the left hand when I'm doing something with the right hand. But in, indeed, these are – this is not – a smokescreen, to the best of my knowledge. I mean, these are things being observed by trained fighter pilots, by witnesses all around the world for centuries. And so this phenomenon is real. We might not understand it deeply from a government level, but they do want to know as much as they can. I, it is outside the scope of, of my imagination that essentially telling the public that these things are happening is somehow going to benefit the budget 
or benefit the, the, you know, the needs of the government. I think the people that have come forward are just like you and me. They believe this is worthy of proper investigation and that the American public should know. Well said. Well said, Jeremy. This this brings us to uh, another question that we we always want to include when we're talking about currently unfolding events. And this can go where wherever you see fit. What do you see as the near or mid future? Um, I guess consequences might be too strong a word, but the the results or the ripples of this announcement. Well, I think it's going to be followed up. And I think that if we can get to the point where the public really understands, I mean, gosh, the public was so interested when that New York Times article came out. I mean, it just blasted off. This is a topic everybody, if you have a, curi- a curious bone in your body, you you have to be interested in this. It's just a matter of the devils in the details, really trying to read and see what's going on. I think that once alloys are presented to the public that are clearly not made by human hand because of the perfect atomic layering of elements that should not be able to be fused together, and then the properties of these alloys, how they interact with our known physics in slightly different ways, if that is shown, if that is shown in a big way through major media, you will have to ask yourself, who made these alloys? So I think slowly and over time, remember, we're being promised more videos by the uh, Tom DeLong conglomerate of uh, really incredible intelligence and uh, aviation people and CIA people, that kind of thing, that there are more videos. A third one is promised. I happen to know that there are a lot more videos that were unclassified. So the question is, what is the public going to be exposed to slowly? And what will the questions be? What will the public ask? And asking the right question that I have learned through this type of work is the most important. So in the near future, I think it's just getting the public to ask the right questions in a big way. And it's going to take drip by drip more information coming out to get us there. I have one last serious question. Are these videos going to be lost Blink-182 videos? You'd hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. No, man, you, you, no, man that blink money is nothing to sneeze at. I, I, I do hear that he is doing interesting things with his his fortune, and I to think the that's, Stars Academy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really fascinating. I'm 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 being a jerk, but I, I I think it's really interesting that he's taking that money and like trying to do something interesting with it. Oh yeah, and he is working with. Uh, as as we said, established uh, government figures, uh, right. many many retired, but you know, legit intelligence agency uh, defense folks like um, Chris Mellon, for instance, I believe is working with him. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Let, let's just clarify here. So Tom DeLong of Blink One Eighty Two got together a group of government officials who are all on the same page and scientists to try to, one, get more information out, like Lou Elizondo, who's on his board, did get uh, two videos so far declassified to us. So, you know, yay for Tom. I'm rooting for Tom. It has nothing to do with his music or anything like that. Just as an individual trying to move the needle forward, he has successfully done that and hopefully will continue doing that. Of course, there are other aspects to his project, which is, you know, the promise through funded, you know, through, through money from, you know, from people, through crowdfunding, to, to try to emulate or simulate or make, you know, some of these technologies actually function. And, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know 
the implications of that. I, you know, there's a lot of skepticism on that. But I think what he has done is heroic. I think he pulled together a good group of people, put it in the forefront, used his name and his space as his passport to get more information out. And I applaud him for that. So I think we just need to separate that from the other endeavors of his group. Let's look at what he has done. So, yeah, I applaud him for that. Again, we are all cogs in a much bigger wheel. The big news flash here is if we're being visited by technologies and craft of unknown origin, not made here on Earth, who is piloting these and what is their intention? That's the big question. And then I would, I would only add to that, to what end? I mean, it's a serious, that's a serious concern. uh, Because as human history, at least has taught us, typically, when one civilization with technological advantage or superiority meets another civilization, things do not end well. And if we are in a case where, uh, where there would be some sort of contact uh, from beyond our terrestrial plane, we can only hope that this would not follow the precedence set by humanity. Right. So this is, in fact, where it gets weird. I have a little theory that I call the, the clock, UFOs are clockwork orange. And it's the basic theory that we may not be witnessing just beings from other star systems engaging humanity with craft that appear to be UFOs, but in fact, we may be experiencing uh, an AI or some sort of artificial intelligence that is giving us a a learning program over time to acclimate us to the ideas of high technology. Because if you look through UFO uh, accounts all throughout the, the, the centuries, you'll see that what people are engaging and seeing goes far beyond just craft in the sky or lights in the sky. But in fact, there are much more complex interactions that humans have from information to, uh, you know, technology that's just beyond the cusp of what we have at the time. So this information is changing over the centuries. And I think that we may be interacting with something far stranger than just beings from another planet, other people from another planet. Well said. And speaking of Stranger Things, not the Netflix show, folks, but speaking of uh, stranger stranger subjects and topics, uh, there is something that we wanted to bring up. We, we would be remiss if we didn't mention this or explore it at some point in our time with you today. And uh, Matt, I'd like to pass the honors to you in this regard. Yeah, you mentioned a name that just kind of got peppered in as we've been talking, Bob Lazar. This is a uh, this is a physicist who was working at several laboratories. At least uh, I have to say allegedly here because you're you have you're taking Bob Lazar's word over you know other other people's. But he worked amongst other places, Area Fifty One, according to him, and he was witness to a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. Other alien you know alien craft, uh, alloys, metals, this kind of thing. And you, you got to talk to him? Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, after many years, this was always a kind of a dream of mine, after many years of uh, time knowing Bob, uh, becoming friends, we have had the chance to go really deep into this. And eventually he said, let's, you know, let's do it. You're right. People have twisted my story. So just to get people up to date, Bob Lazar 
is the most important and key individual in the whole UFO history and lore. He has certainly influenced the UFO culture you know, in, with his story more than any one particular individual. And he wants you to put the word allegedly in front of anything you say about him because he wants you to use your brain. He is giving you his story and telling you that you should decide if what he's telling is true. Now, after 30 years of telling his story and not changing it, we now have a different lens in order to look at this story, and that's what I've been doing. I've been contacting witnesses that have never been contacted. I've been talking with Bob and getting him to go on film about things he's never been able to or never talked about. So the basic story is that Bob says he studied alien propulsion, an alien propulsion system for the U.S. military in 1989, and he came forward on the news with George Knapp and told everybody about it. Area 51, flying saucers from another world, and a program to create a fierce technology. That is Bob's claim, and this is where we stand now. He's really pretty much remained silent. He, nothing from the UFO world has ever done anything good for his life, and you, you only know that when you get closer to Bob as a person to see who he is, what his character is, and how it really has negatively influences like just telling his story. That will be up to you to judge based on the evidence and based on getting to know him personally through the film, if you believe Bob Lazar and his story. But the big question is, if Bob is telling us the truth, then what? And so that's what I hope to address in this film. Bob claims he worked at a sub-base of Area 51 called S4 in 1989. There was a place with nine hangars and nine flying saucer-type craft. He was able to work on one and its propulsion system, which operated allegedly off of Element 115, a stabilized version where they had a, an isotope that stabilized it. And he said, gravity is a wave, and it works off gravity amplification, the most interesting thing. This weaponized my curiosity, the way that this propulsion worked, because it's not really propulsion. You don't push thrust out the back. You distort time space by amplifying a gravity wave and fall instantly in little jumps into a place. So you don't need to travel faster than the speed of light. So his claims are that he worked on trying to understand this system for our government. And he actually got to see, allegedly, the inside of what he called the sports model, which was a really sleek looking UFO. And he said it was ominous. Wow. Well, Unfortunately, I think we're running out of time, guys. So we really, we're going to have to just go on our own and learn more about this in our own journeys. Is Where's the best place to go and find uh, your films for anybody listening? All of my films can be found at ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. Currently, my film Patient 17 is available on Netflix, as well as iTunes and Amazon, Xbox, all that stuff. What I encourage everybody to do is go deep into the Bob Lazar story now. Type it in, ask your Google voice device, who is Bob Lazar, and just start looking into it because I will be putting out the definitive documentary on his story and life within the year of 2018 towards the end of it. A lot will be revealed. So go research, catch up, and hopefully we can touch base right before that film drops to the public. 
And also just for listeners, there are two great articles about the main stuff we were talking about today with this government program. There's one on um, the New York Times, as we mentioned, and then there was one in Politico that I think we talked about as well. Mm -hmm. You had something to do with the Politico piece, did you say? No, I was able to know about what was going on. I had been studying the Tic Tac case for two years, so I was intimately involved in knowing how this was going to play out to the public, which is not really important. It's just kind of cool that I could see it from both sides. Absolutely. It's also interesting to read these stories from these, you know, very um, prestigious news organizations and to see the way they handle stuff that you don't typically see dealt with by organizations like this. So it's 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 pretty it's pretty interesting and illuminating, especially when it turned into a uh, the New York Times had a follow up article where they did one of my favorite moves that happens often in journalism. They started reporting on how they reported the story. Oh, yeah. So not the actual story <laughs> itself. And then a uh, portal of dark matter opened up and swallowed the entire New York Times. Uh, <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, speaking of Netflix, have you guys seen the Cloverfield Paradox yet? Not good. Oh, <laughs> I haven't, haven't seen it yet. But That's it, my hot take. <laughs> haven't, haven't seen it yet. We've heard about it. But while you're on Netflix, uh, you can, as we mentioned, check out uh, Patient 17. You can also uh, check out our earlier episode on implants with uh, Jeremy. And I, that was the uh, first time we had you on the show. And uh, just like we said then, we greatly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on and giving our friends and neighbors, listeners in the audience, conspiracy realists, a peek behind the curtain. And I'm really glad that you said, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you encourage people to dive into this on their own. When can they expect to see the next film on Bob Lazar? Yes, yeah, so the Bob Lazar film will come out at the end of 2018, but I will have one coming up before, and that will be the one on Skinwalker Ranch. And so look for my films uh, this year, absolutely. And thanks, gentlemen, for having me on. You certainly do provide a show telling people and giving people information on stuff they don't want you to know. And I really appreciate uh, that you do this. So thanks for having me on and just great work. A pleasure. We'll see you again soon, sir. Jeremy Corbell, ladies and gentlemen. And thus ends our episode for today, but not our show. Never fear, Matt, Noel, Paul, and I will be back very soon with something strange, unnerving, hopefully fascinating. And in the meantime, we'd like to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find uh, our earlier episode with Jeremy, as well as every single episode we have ever recorded on our website, Stuff they, they don't, don't want, want you to, to know. Dot com. Oh, it's the biggest URL ever. I'm glad you helped me with that. <laughs> you think? I don't know. It's close to it, at least. It's in the top four, maybe. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you just want to send us a good old-fashioned email, you can reach us. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. <laughs>